welcome to Christ for You, a podcast of RCA Lutheran Church and School, Pagosa Springs, Colorado. I am Pastor Andrew Packer. This is the fourth midweek sermon from Johann Gerhard. The sermon is based on Psalm 68, verses 19 through 20. Psalm 68. God lays a burden upon us, but he also helps us, Selah. We have a God who helps in the Lord of Lords, who rescues from death. Now the sermon. We read in Exodus 14, verse 11 and following, about the children of Israel, that God the Lord had allowed them to come into great danger and anxiety. However, he once more graciously helped them and likewise rescued them from imminent death. For as they were rescued from the burden of the Egyptian slavery, under which they had long labored, They no longer were traveling the right way to the promised land. God the Lord commanded that they turn around and were to lodge by the sea at a place from which it was practically impossible to escape from the power of the enemy because they were locked in on all sides by wilderness, the seas, and mountains. These are the circumstances the text indicates. Therefore, when it happened that Pharaoh, with his horde chased after them, there was nothing else before their eyes than total destruction. Thereupon they said to Moses, Were there not graves in Egypt that you had to lead us out so that we might die in the desert? But Moses cried out with praying and longing sighs to the Lord. And at God's special command, he lifted up his staff, reached out his hand over the sea, and separated it apart for the children of Israel to go therein through the midst on dry land. And thus they were rescued from imminent death. What the children of Israel encountered here is the same thing that spiritual Israelites, true Christians, oftentimes experience even now today. They at times encounter such anxiety and danger so they cannot see how they possibly can be rescued from it. And there is nothing else before their eyes than death, defeat, and destruction. But God the Lord helps them with his grace and might. He leads them through various floods and water waves, and he delivers their soul from destruction. In the text just read, David contemplates this wonderful goodness of God and exalts it from a joyful spirit. God lays a burden upon us, he says, but he also helps us, Selah. And because he marvels over the gracious help of God, he repeats it once more. We have a God who helps us, and the Lord of Lords rescues us from death. We want to consider this little passage according to its three little points. First, how God lays a burden upon his own. Second, how he once again also helps. Third, also finally rescues from death. God lays a burden upon us, David says. As part of the burden, he understands everything that a Christian might find to be oppressive and revolting, by which his soul or body is oppressed and weighed down with a burden. God lays all such burdens, that is, such burdensome evils, upon us. He, with a certain degree, apportions each person his cross, tribulation. And when it is written in Psalm 75, 8, The Lord has a beaker in his hand and poured it full of strong wine, and he bestows from it. This is the beaker of tribulation. Out of it each person must take a drink and accept his portion of suffering, just as Christ also calls his life a beaker of tribulation when he says in John 18, 11, Shall I not drink the chalice that my Father has given me? First, learn from this then, you anxiety-ridden heart that when the burdens of temptations, trials, tribulations, and worries are laid upon your soul, or the burdens of illness or some other burden of the cross is laid upon your body, that these things come from God. For we must come to the point that we from the bottom of our heart confess that when we groan and sigh under his burden, 
that it has been laid upon us by God. We must not get hung up on the instrumental person through whom this burden is oftentimes brought upon us. Instead, we should at all times step up higher and remember that every burden of tribulation has been laid upon us by God, since without the will of God, not any little hair upon our head may be ripped out of our head by our enemies. And what is laid upon us by our enemies, the devil, or through the godless, does not happen without God's destiny. If God has not destined it, then they must well leave it alone. This the patient Job acknowledges when the Arabians had robbed him of his children and donkeys, the Chaldeans of his camels, and the wind ripped apart the house in which his sons and daughters were, striking them down. Here he says, The Lord has given, the Lord has taken. Job chapter 1, verse 21. He knew very well that without God's destiny, none of these things could have happened. This alone is also the art of true Christians, that they admits their tribulations, acknowledge that God, the Lord, has laid the burden upon them. When they are tested with various crosses and tribulations, they realize that they are being chastened by the Lord. Until a person acknowledges this, there can be no peace of mind admits the tribulation. But whoever under the burden of the cross lifts up his heart and remembers from whence the burden comes, he will be able to calm his heart and encompass his soul with patience. Second, for with these words, God lays a burden upon us. There is furthermore held before us three strong pillars and columns of patience, that we are to look to God who has laid the burden upon us, that we look at ourselves who are weighed down thereby, that we look at the burden of the cross that has been laid upon us. If we think about God the Lord, we shall find that he is our Father, who loved us in Christ, his beloved Son. If he then is our Father, he cannot have evil intentions toward us with the cross and tribulation. For where is there a father who with the chastening of his son intends it for his destruction? So the loving fathers then, who are evil, have good intentions with the punishment and chastisement of their children. How much more so shall not God the Lord, the spiritual father, who is the true father over all who are called children in heaven upon earth, intend the burden of the cross for our best? A son can also not immediately believe that it is meant for his good when his father chastises him. For he only looks at the hand of the father. While it presses and plagues and spanks, he does not regard the chastisement to be a joy, but rather a sadness. If, however, he could peek into the father's heart, he would soon recognize that it is love and not wrath. So also must we, if we want to correctly assess the burden of the cross and the chastisement, we must not look at the rod, but rather look past it into God's heart. He has revealed such a loving heart to us in his word and in Christ and has once more allowed Christ's side to be opened up on the tree of the cross, in order that we might peek into his loving heart. If we do that, we shall discover that every cross, tribulation, is according to Nazianzen, a bitter spear from the sweet hand of God, a fatherly rod and well-intended chastisement. Also, when the burden from God is laid upon us, it can't be any other way than that God intends it for good. For God is the highest good, Consequently, he will not allow anything evil to encounter us unless he knows a greater good and something better to accomplish thereby within us. And thus God often does a strange deed with reproof and chastisement in order that his own deed, which is to have mercy, may have status with us. Also, that it occurs from the Lord, whose counsel is wondrous, and who knows how to gloriously carry it out, whose wisdom is unending, that the burden of a cross is laid upon us, 
From this it can also readily be concluded that every cross is laid upon us out of the vital thinking of God and that he has his own just, most wise reasons for why he allows this and that to encounter us. This is also the first pillar of patience with the burden of the cross tribulation, naming that we remind ourselves that this burden was laid upon us by God the Lord. The second pillar of patience is that we remind ourselves whom we are upon whom God has laid this burden. By nature we are poor sinners, and with our sins deserve many thousand times hell and damnation. For each individual sin, if God strictly wanted to enter into judgment, makes us guilty of eternal damnation. Who, however, can notice how often he fails? So then also, who can express how often we have earned hell? So then why would we refuse to be chastised in this world so we do not become condemned along with the godless world? Blessed is he whom God reproves in this world so that he may come to repentance and be snatched away from eternal punishment. The godless, cocky, self-assured people are not worthy that they suffer in this world. That's why they gather God's wrath upon themselves and store it up like a treasure that later on suddenly overcomes them. And if God the Lord gives his own in this world to drink from the cup of the cross, tribulation, then in yonder world the godless will have to all drink and will have to guzzle down the dregs of divine wrath. Behold, if we remind ourselves about our nature, we shall discover that we with our sins have earned this same burden and an even far greater one. If we remind ourselves about the grace, we discover that we through faith have become children of God and are true members of Christ. Consequently, since our head, Christ, was crowned with thorns, why do we excuse ourselves that we would not want to also allow the crown of thorns to stick us? If Christ took upon himself the heavy burden of our sin, which otherwise would have suppressed us down into hell, why would we not want to also take upon ourselves the gentle yoke and the light burden of the cross? If Christ, our physician, drank from the cup of the cross for the best, why would we ill people not much more so drink from it for our betterment? We have the huge promise that we shall in yonder life finally become transfigured like unto the body of the Lord Christ. Why would we also not in this life allow ourselves to become like unto the image of the suffering and dying Christ? If we die with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also rule with him. When we some day in the life to come shall see how those chosen elect who came out of the great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them shining bright with the blood of the Lamb, standing before the throne of God and serving him day and night in his temple, and how he sits upon the throne, gazes at them, and leads them to the living springs of water, and how God wipes away all tears from their eyes. I say, when we shall see that, we will wish that we in this world had suffered even greater tribulation, and that we had poured out even more tears, and had been fed with ever greater amounts of tears. For the truth remains, the sufferings of these times are not worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed in us. The burden of tribulation is nothing compared to the burden of sin, that has been lifted from us, compared to the renewing comfort that God offers us with cross-bearing, and to the glory of God's kingdom, in which we shall enter through much tribulation. This is the second reason that we should remind ourselves of why these burdens are laid upon us. The third pillar consists of this, that we remind ourselves concerning the burden of a cross, naming that it in many ways is beneficial. For the cross is indeed a burden to our outward man, our flesh and blood. 
but to the inward man it is a delight. The righteous shall green up, flourish like a palm tree. Just as a palm tree is never stronger and grows better than when it is burdened, so also the righteous person flourishes when he is weighed down with the burden of a cross. If the field of our hearts is to be fruitful, it has to be plowed with a cross so that it can be called in keeping with Psalm 129.3, the plowmen have farmed upon my back. If our flesh wants to exalt itself against God and his word through evil lust, through pride, through cocky self-assurance, then God the Lord through the burden of the cross has to subdue it. So then, even though our outward man is reprimanded, rebuked, yet the inward man is renewed daily. For our tribulation, which is temporal and light, creates an eternal and above all measure is a vital glory, says Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. So then compare it and weigh it. The burden of a cross is a temporal burden. It will ultimately be removed and does not endure for long. For what is a year, indeed a thousand years, compared to eternity, compared to the glory that God has promised to those who in the midst of a cross rely on him by faith for what is an eternal glory? The burden of a cross is a light burden, for God the Lord helps us bear it. In comparison, that glory is a vital glory beyond all measure. These then are the three pillars upon which our patience should lay the burden of the cross. Finally, since God lays a burden upon each person, one should not wickedly judge. This one had a great burden laid upon him. Therefore, he must be guilty of a gross iniquity above all others. Not so. Look at yourself, says St. Paul in Galatians 6, verses 1 and 5. For each person shall bear his burden. In 1 Peter 4, 17, is recorded, Judgment comes upon the house of God. Take special note. If God wants to judge and reprove, he begins with his house, that is, with those in whom he dwells with his grace and spirit. However, if such happens to the household of God, what will become of those who cast out the Holy Spirit from their hearts through deliberate, obvious sins? That's why Christ preaches to his listeners in Luke chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. Do you think that the 18 who fell from the tower of Shiloh and were slain, were more guilty above all men who lived in Jerusalem? I say no. Instead, if you do not better yourselves, you also shall perish like that. Therefore, we should view the burden of others so that we immediately remind ourselves of this. If then this person who is a pious Christian undergoes this, what might well happen to you or me who can't be compared to him? What could be a greater burden than a soul burden, when through heavy temptation and sadness the spirit of a person is tortured? Likewise, God sometimes lays these burdens upon the best of Christians in order that no one actually may get the notion that a huge burden is a special sign of divine wrath and that such vexed persons had above all others actually grossly deserved this. Was not David a man after God's own heart? Nevertheless, he so frequently laments in the Psalms that the anxiety of his heart was huge, that his life was right next to hell, that he suffered God's fury, that he was in sheer despair, in sum, that God allowed him to experience much and great anxiety. Was not Christ God's most beloved Son? Nevertheless, he cried out on the cross, My God, why have you forsaken me? The other statute reads, God also helps us. David demonstrates this, and that God not only lays on a burden, but that he also helps. And like Hannah says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 6, The Lord kills and makes alive, leads into hell and back out again. And since David heartily observed this gracious help of God, he repeats it one more time. We have a Lord who helps, 
In his language, it reads far more gloriously. He can help in many and various ways, that the burden of the tribulation may indeed oppress us, yet not overcome us, that the cross burdens yet does not destroy, that God lets us lament in anxiety, but yet does not allow us to despair. And such help God shows us in many ways. First, that he actually removes the burden, as it sometimes happens, that God sends us illness, anxiety, or other crosses, but later takes them away. And he also turns the water of tribulation into wine of joy. That he changes the lamentation to a dance, takes off the sackcloth, and instead girds us with joy. And so Joseph could no longer contain himself. He had to reveal himself to his brothers in Genesis 45, verse 1. So also Christ, after one has had the view of a cross for a long time, the heavenly Joseph, having kept his face hidden, finally removes the curtain of the cross and makes known his kind face, and that he snatches us out of our need. Second, that he relieves the burden of the cross and removes a noticeable amount of the cross's burden, so that it no longer is so heavy. For he is such a faithful God, who does not allow us to be tempted above what we are capable of. Instead, he sees to it that the temptation has such an outcome, so that we are able to endure it. Just like a faithful father, when he sees that his child's burden is far too heavy, makes it lighter, so that he can carry it, so also this heavenly father deals with us. Third, that he strengthens us with the comfort of his spirit, so that we may be able to endure every need and temptation. For as St. Paul says in Romans 8.26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we are far too weak to bear even the most insignificant burden. The Holy Spirit has to grant us the power to endure. That is why it happens that God is right beside us when we often think that he is far from us. I spoke in my despair, David says. Psalm 31 verse 22. I was cast aside from your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard my pleading voice as I cried out to you. It seems as if he wants to say, I thought, dear God, that you would completely vanish amidst my despair. I never thought that you were crafting the longing sighs and pleas in my heart. Also that you were upholding me by the power of your spirit. Consequently, just as Stephen saw Christ with great joy, as he was being stoned, so Christ amidst the cross of an anxious soul reveals his salutary countenance and thereby comforts a person. Where is the city where I should rest, says the Lord? But he immediately additionally says, I, however, look upon the poor, and he was of a broken spirit. It's as if he wants to say this, Where the heart is anxious, under the burden of the cross, there I will dwell with my spirit and comforter. That is why when the peace of God is higher than all understanding, for reason cannot grasp this, that in a distressed soul the peace of God is able to have status. Fourth, even if the burden of the cross endures into the end of life, God's help has still not ceased. Instead, God the Lord gives a far better life. There's also the reason why David wanted to apply the third law. We have a Lord of Lords who saves from death. It's as if he means to say this, even if the cross is to endure until death, that we finally will be buried under the earth. God's help has still not ceased. Instead, he can rescue us from death because he is the Lord of Sabbath, that is, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Thus, he is also a Lord of death and can rescue one from it. Therefore also may not death separate us from the love and help of God, St. Paul says in Romans 8, verses 38 and following. For along with this, Paul writes, that this love of God towards us in Christ Jesus, since we in Christ are the beloved ones and his true members, 
So also Christ will no less allow that we be ripped away from him by death than he would allow one of his own members to be ripped off. I live, states John 14, 19, and so also shall you live. Just as surely as I have been raised from the dead, raised up to the right hand of my Father, live in eternal glory, so surely shall also you, as my true members, be rescued from death and live with me in eternity. In his own language, this last statement means this, God the Lord is the end of death, whereby is indicated that God the Lord can and will rescue his own out of any sort of death. For it is a death of sin, whereby the soul is separated from God's grace. It is from this very same death that Christ has saved us by his death, and that he died for us while we were yet sinners. Also there is fulfilled in us what St. Paul says in Ephesians 2.5, While we were dead in sin, God has along with Christ made us alive. Thereupon death is sometimes a tribulation about which St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.31, I die daily. When God saves us from such a tribulation, it is nothing else than that he has rescued us from death. As David says about that in Psalm 71.20, You let me experience much and great anxiety, and you make me alive again, and haul me out once again from the depths of the earth. Notice that David compares being rescued from anxiety to being made alive again. Furthermore, there is temporal death, where the soul is separated from the body. God the Lord likewise saves one from this, and that he helps us by his Spirit to fight the battle against death, and once again also on Judgment Day, will once again awaken our bodies from the dust of the earth to life. At that time our bones shall green up like grass, for just as a grain of wheat, even though it actually dies in the earth, nevertheless once more sprouts up green in the spring. So also shall our bodies, even though they become dust and ashes in the ground, also once more sprout forth green at the proper time. Finally, there is still also an eternal death to damnation, which in Revelation 20.14 is called the second death. Christ has also rescued us from it, because on the cross he paid for our sins, for which we deserve this death. And he has provided the short promise to true believers that they shall have eternal life. And he who has a share in the first resurrection through repentance, over such the second death has no power. Be faithful unto death, thus I will give you the crown of life. To that end, help us, God, through Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to Christ for You. Blessings on your day.